0: Welcome to Empires of Eve. My name is Andrew Gruen. This episode is the second in a two-part series called The Great Northern War. This is part two, Band of Brothers.
1: This wasn't a game for us. We hated them. Not in a virtual way, we hated them. There's never been a war in Eve that was fought at the intensity that the Great Northern War was fought. Espionage, subterfuge, propaganda warfare.
0: And then finally, Galavet came to me and said, do you fancy a proper war? Revenge against the person that kicked us out and destroyed our Mm. ideals? You fucking bet. When I finished putting together the previous episode of this show, the first part of the Great Northern War, I really couldn't wait to get back to recording the next installment, this episode, because so much of what we went through in the last episode is like setting the table for the banquet. And it's at this point in the story that things begin to move very rapidly. And it becomes this very interesting conflict that moves at a speed and a level of intensity that nobody in EVE Online was really ready for, and it'll eventually grow to a scale that no serious person in the community had yet imagined. Um, and, and one of the things that struck me when I was reporting this story was the fact that reliable sources of information during this time are basically non-existent. You know, because it's, it's really easy during peacetime to, to write down a relatively factual chain of events, but when things start getting more intense, people's objectivity tends to break down a little bit. They tend to stop talking to one another, and that tends to lead to people making sort of cartoon villains out of each other, rather than trying to understand one another's personal perspective the main sources of information about what actually happened also start to get more and more corrupted as the stakes get higher and higher, and people become more and more invested in destroying their enemy, because they inevitably start using all of the communications channels that people communicate via toward whatever short-term advantage they might see. So for instance, alliances that are losing wars, will still use blog posts and forums and reddit posts and things like that to try to sway the public as well as their own members to see things in whichever light they've decided will give them an advantage. And so they'll massage stories or they'll outright lie sometimes in order to bolster their members confidence and, and damage the enemy's morale. So you end up with a lot of situations in which both sides emphatically insist that they're winning the war. And so if one side trumpets victory in a major battle, the losing side will either, you know, accuse the victors of massaging the casualty numbers, or they might try to change the conversation by insisting that that particular battle wasn't even important anyways. And that's really fascinating because it eventually leads to really raw emotion being created on both sides of this. And it's going to perpetuate this conflict far past where it needed to go politically, simply because everybody just hated each other so much that they couldn't stop it, and ultimately it's only when someone kind of figures out how to get beyond that hatred that things start to wind down. So at the end of the last episode, we saw the culmination of a really twisted and rather complex political and social game that was being played. Uh, there's been sort of a bloodless coup up in the northern regions, as the Phoenix Alliance has managed to effectively remove the Vino Alliance from power, and the famous figurehead of the Vino Alliance, Jade Constantine, is sort of exiled. And once they were in control, their leader, Halseth Dern, moved quickly to try to shore up diplomatic ties with the other powers nearby. The three main powers in the north, which were the Phoenix Alliance and the main characters of the, the last episode, the Fade Union and the Coalition of Declan, uh, those three alliances come together to form a non-aggression pact called the Northern Alliance's Security Treaty. But that alliance is threatened when the Phoenix Alliance attempts to bring a pirate alliance called Forsaken Empire into that non-aggression treaty. Forsaken Empire had only recently attempted to invade other members of the Northern Alliance's Security Treaty, and a lot of people balked at the idea of giving this kind of protected status to pirates. And the previous episode ends with Rekoku uh, quitting their alliances in the north and beginning to make plans to challenge the much, much larger Phoenix Alliance's grip on power. And so Rekoku's first move is to go hunt down uh, Jade Constantine and tell her what's going on. And Rekoku's CEO is a guy by the name of Galavet, uh, tells Jade that they're planning to build an army and head back into the north to take the revenge against the Phoenix Alliance. And here's what Jade Constantine said to me when I asked the player behind the character what his thoughts were uh, when Galavet made that offer. And there were these kind of like notions of war drums. And then finally, Galavet came to me and said, do you fancy a proper war? against the Phoenix Alliance, revenge against the person that kicked us out, and destroyed our mm-hmm. ideals and uh, closed the borders. You fucking bet. And so Jade and Galavet have to figure out how they're going to take their two relatively small corporations and take them up against the largest power in EVE Online at the time. And the plan they come up with has Jade Constantine's flair for the dramatic. The first thing they do is Reikoku goes and gets their attention by launching a sneak attack and destroying a, a really expensive battleship, basically, before retreating and then openly declaring war on the forums. And the Evonline Online community just kind of lost its mind over this. And there are actual people on the forums saying, you know, that this is a watershed moment, that this battleship that Reikoku destroyed is, you know, some kind of Evonline Online version of Pearl Harbor. I'm not making this up, they were actually saying this. And this is exactly what they wanted. They wanted this big controversy to get sprouted up so that everyone would start paying attention to what happened up there. And Jade Constantine and Galavet ...bring their corporations together and brand themselves the Northern Coalition of Allies, and set themselves up as sort of an an alternative to Phoenix Alliance rule up in the Northern regions. And so the next day, the Northern Coalition of Allies forms a joint fleet of about 15 ships. You know just these two small corporations coming together to you know build whatever fleet they can get and galavad and jade lead this small fleet up into the north from their base in the protected zone of empire space and they head towards the phoenix alliance base at the star system p tech f s q e and as they arrive they're met by the phoenix alliance main fleet and the phoenix alliance fleet numbers about 100 ships about seven times larger than the northern coalition of allies fleet but Nevertheless, Jade and Gallavet give the order to launch an all-out attack, the 15-ship fleet versus the 100-ship fleet. And here's a prominent fleet commander from the Phoenix Alliance, and eventually their second leader, a guy by the name of Kochis, uh, describing this to me in retrospect.
1: The first battle took place in P-FSQE. They sent a fleet up the Bond pipe. We, that was the gateway to the, you know, we went there and we waited and we had a fight and we dispatched them immediately. That was the first confrontation with them, the NCA. You know, majority of the people we were flying with were hardcore evildoers. From the day they logged into the game until that moment, all they had done is blow up other people's stuff. And so when Jay brought her minions up from Empire, it wasn't very hard for us to put them in their place.
0: And they obviously fail, and are completely wiped out, but for Jade Constantine, that was the whole point. The point of this maneuver wasn't to try to even destroy a single Phoenix Alliance ship, it was to paint them as sort of hopeless rebels, martyrs up in the north, who were defying the Phoenix Alliance. And most importantly, they wanted to prove that anybody who joined up with them would be joining a fighting force, and not just a political shouting match. Because Jade and Galavet both knew that there was a lot of dissatisfaction with the Phoenix Alliance. They they knew that the other two alliances who had signed on to the Northern Alliance's security treaty were getting sick of Phoenix Alliance. In the last episode, we talked about how Reikoku was kind of being griefed by the rogue Phoenix Alliance Corporation Cyberdyne Industries, Uh, but the Phoenix Alliance kept trying to protect their allies in Cyberdyne and would help them sort of escape judgment. Because of this, there was a lot of sympathy for Rikoku coming from the other northern powers because they could kind of see what was going on, what was really going on. They knew Reikoku, they were friends with them, and, and the other northern alliances knew that they weren't the type to make something like this up. And I love this moment because it's just pure Jade Constantine, you know, it's larger than life, it's clever, and there's a really deft understanding of, of optics here and how the Eve community is going to view all of this. And Jade is essentially baiting the Phoenix Alliance into looking like a bully and making Jade and Rikoku look like martyrs. And when they do this, when they make this very valiant charge of the 15 ship fleet against the 100 ship fleet, uh, they earn a lot of respect in the Eve community. And a lot of the fighting alliances began to see them as sticking up for their beliefs in the face of this huge alliance of miners and pirates, which they were already pretty skeptical of to begin with. And because of this action, Jade Constantine is actually able to convince Sir Mole of the corporation Evolution, who we talked about in the previous story arc, to bring Evolution up to the north to resume their crusade to topple the northern governments. And so now the northern coalition of allies has Evolution on its side, and Evolution is one of the best fighting forces anywhere in Eve at this time. So now it's not just Reikoku and Jericho Fraction, they've also got Evolution, and Evolution had just proven during the Venal Civil War that they could take on groups with a much larger population than their own. And this changes the timbre of things really quickly. Because before Evolution announced their intention to join the fight, everybody kind of looked at this as like Jade Constantine's little roleplay game, you know? Like they kind of thought she was just sort of playing and having fun. But with Evolution at her side, they were actually kind of a credible threat to do some real damage. You know, even if they were still too small to win the entire war by themselves, uh, it also meant that if they got any more help, (laughs) if anybody else joined their cause, then they really might be a credible existential threat to the Phoenix Alliance. And that's a really interesting tipping point, because it increases the incentive for any allies who are on the fence to join up now because now if they get on board, it is actually practical to depose the Phoenix Alliance and, and, and make some real changes in the North. And ultimately the same thing that started all of this mess is going to end up exacerbating it again. In the last episode we talked about how Cyberdyne Industries was this kind of rogue faction of trolls within the Phoenix Alliance, and how their secret attacks against Reikoku were what started all of this descent in the first place. And while all of this was going on, pilots from Cyberdyne actually attacked and then insulted a random patrol from the Fade Union, which was one of the other allies in the Northern Alliance's security treaty. I I apologize for how many names and organizations there can be to remember during all of this. This part of EVE Online's history is especially twisted and confusing, and it'll get easier as as we go on. But basically the message is this. Cyberdyne Industries is a member of the Phoenix Alliance, and their jokes and their trolling are turning the Phoenix Alliance's allies against them. And when Cyberdyne commits this final act against the Fade Union, it triggers a really major diplomatic move. The Fade Union gets together with the Coalition of Declan, which was the third member of the Northern Alliance's security treaty, and they mutually agree to remove the Phoenix Alliance from that treaty. And to align themselves with reikoku j constantine and evolution in what was now a regional northern war to depose the largest alliance in the north the phoenix alliance
1: you know all the Mm -hmm. regions around the pa um and at that time the pa claimed um venal tenal Mm -hmm. and branch those were our three regions Mm -hmm. and all the surrounding areas there were alliances in there too and Jade convinced all of these people surrounding us, all of our neighbors, and from anybody that would come and join that bought into her propaganda that the VA mm-hmm. is evil, we need to go kill them. Yeah. So it was not just people coming from Empire, it was people living in Zero Zero, our neighbors.
0: It's remarkable how quickly all of this happened and how crucial the optics and the politics of the region were to how the game itself ended up actually playing out. And now we have a situation where all of the other groups in the North have decided that Phoenix Alliance was corrupt. That it was a corrupt government that would rather put its people through a war rather than simply recognize what Cyberdyne had done and kick them out of the Alliance. And all of this culminates in the first true battle of the Great Northern War, the battle at p FSQE. It's the first time when all of the forces arrayed against the Phoenix Alliance got together and attempted to match their combined power against probably the biggest and most powerful alliance in the game at the time. The forces that were combining their might against the Phoenix Alliance called themselves the Northern Coalition of Allies, and they managed to put together a fleet of 125 ships, with evolution sort of at their head, in command. And the Phoenix Alliance showed up to this battle, with a massive fleet of 175 ships. And both of these fleets are probably the two largest fleets that had ever been assembled in EVE Online at this time. And I don't, I don't know that for a fact, but I have a strong suspicion that those were probably in 2004 the number one and number two largest fleets that had ever been assembled. And here they were about to square off. The battle at p FSQE is this amazing and amusing event because it's ostensibly a battle between spaceships, but it's really a battle between the players and their own internet connections, because with more than 300 players in this system, lag started to break things down at their most fundamental level, where the rules of the game barely even made any sense anymore. The lag in the system was so bad that alleviating the effects of lag gave you a huge advantage over your opponent, and so both sides were trying to figure out these little tricks and tactics uh, to reduce system latency in their side's favor. And so, for example, Evolution figured out that if their pilots turned their cameras away from the battle, then they'd have fewer things like particle effects and things like that to animate. And so the lag would be lower for their side. Uh, (laughs) But everybody had their own little tricks for that kind of thing. And so this battle is just an absolute mess. And nobody can even really tell what's going on here. But the thing is, is that ultimately it doesn't matter if the battle is a complete mess. What's happening is irreversible. And so there's no use whining about the lag, Uh, you just have to figure out how to deal with it. And the Phoenix Alliance was better at it. And they had a stricter, more effective chain of command for dealing with fleet commanders getting killed or knocked offline. And the huge 175 ship Phoenix Alliance fleet is able to destroy the Northern Coalition of Allies fleet. So if you've ever been part of an online community, you probably know pretty much how the community reacted to this event. You know, everybody essentially started picking the fight apart and looking for lessons inside of it. You know, if you're in an eSports community, for example, and the two best teams have just played, you know, people are looking at their strategies to try to learn some lessons about how the game actually works. Because a lot of times these games are so complex that you can't really know how certain things will play out until you actually see them play out Uh, out there in the game universe and in this case this was one of those events where people had always talked about what what would it be like if fleets of you know 100 plus ships or 150 plus ships you know just have at each other for a while what would that actually be like and now they actually got a chance to see it. And those theory crafters who are examining this from the outside decide that what happened in that battle is now basically a mutable law. The Northern Coalition of Allies can never engage the Phoenix Alliance in major fleet combat or they'll just get destroyed every time. The Phoenix Alliance just has too much firepower and too many numbers. And, and that may or may not be true, but most people believed that conventional wisdom in this time. Uh, and, and even the Northern Coalition of Allies believed it. And so after this this really disastrous defeat, for the next several weeks they refashion themselves out of this, you know, big fleet force into a series of smaller tactical groups that are divided up among the alliances. And so basically all of the alliances uh, in the Northern Coalition of Allies weren't going to pool their power together to try to take out the Phoenix Alliance head-on, instead each alliance is going to operate more or less independently and they're going to attack wherever and whenever they wish. The theory is sort of like that they're a a pack of mongoose, and and the the Phoenix Alliance is a cobra, and the cobra is really strong if you attack it head-on, but if you attack it from from all sides, it's much weaker. And And so they'd strike everywhere in Phoenix Alliance territory, and if the gigantic main fleet of the Phoenix Alliance showed up and tried to swat them away, they'd simply disperse and then go someplace else. They were trying to leverage the fact that they could subdivide their forces much, much more easily than the Phoenix Alliance could. And so for two straight weeks, this is how the war looks. The Northern Coalition of Allies refuses to commit to a head-on engagement and the Phoenix Alliance frantically tries to swat away all of these smaller fleets that are disrupting their lifestyle and swarming their bases. And, and this leads to kind of a classic EVE Online situation in which both sides are very publicly claiming that they're winning the war and both sides sort of seem correct. The Phoenix Alliance is right that the Northern Coalition of Allies is refusing to fight them in another fleet engagement, but the Northern Coalition of Allies is also right that they're destroying far more Phoenix Alliance ships. And so nobody really knows who's winning the war, there's kind of a stalemate at this time. And both sides go out looking for some kind of an edge, because it's at this point that both sides start to realize that this thing isn't going to go away. Nobody was even calling this the Great Northern War yet because it was only two weeks old. You know, it's going to go on for quite a while and both sides start looking for any advantage they can get. And so this is one of the big turning points in the history of diplomacy in EVE Online, because both sides begin sending diplomats out to talk to all of the other nearby alliances. You know, no longer is this exclusively a northern conflict. Every other major alliance in the game has people from the Northern Coalition of Allies or from the Phoenix Alliance, you know, knocking on their door and asking them whose side they're on. And so there's this period of a few days where one after the other, these major alliances are making, you know, uh, grand proclamations on the forums about their position on the war in the North, you know, and the Phoenix Alliance marks the first major victory. In deep in the southeast, they managed to convince most of the brutish and pirate-like alliances to start getting together behind the Phoenix Alliance. And Forsaken Empire joins their cause, and the Curse Alliance, which was renowned as one of the best combat alliances in the game, announced that they were going to send fleets to help the Phoenix Alliance defend their territory. And so these are really good strategic allies, but again, it didn't really help the optics of the situation because neither of those alliances had very good reputations at that time. And then in the West, the Fountain Alliance declared their own condition. So we're, we're, we're getting to see sort of the expanding EVE Online universe. We're not just talking about the North anymore. We're talking about whole other areas of the game that we haven't even had a chance to talk about just yet. And most of them have their own histories that are just as rich and as complex as what was happening in the North with Jade Constantine and the Venal Alliance and, and now the Great Northern War. And so everybody's being very careful about what kind of diplomatic stance they choose. You know, they don't wanna get wrapped up in this big, horrible thing that's happening up there, uh, but they wanna be firm and clear about where they stand. And what the Fountain Alliance chooses to say is essentially that they have, you know, valued allies in the regions of the conflict in the North, and that any attack on those allies uh, will cause the Fountain Alliance to join the cause of the Northern Coalition of Allies and help them destroy the Phoenix Alliance. So they're effectively neutral, but they draw some very clear red lines. If you attack specifically these people, our friends, then we're going to get into the war. And they're doing this because there's this fear that everyone had at the time that this war was going to reshape the entire map. You know, the Fountain Alliance was based far, far away from the Great Northern War. And even still they were afraid that the northern war was going to spill out over their territory and wrap up the entire game world and so not only are people looking to try to protect themselves but they're also looking to protect their you know diplomatic sphere of influence too so that their allies don't end up getting destroyed and so they draw this kind of red line that says if this thing gets too big we'll join the war on the side of the northern coalition of allies and before long Even alliances on the complete other side of the game universe have made diplomatic statements about all of this, and I'll go ahead and read you the statement uh, from the Fountain Alliance. The head of public relations for the Fountain Alliance said, Fellow citizens, it is with growing concern that we have seen the Northern War escalate as of late, both in terms of the warring parties currently involved and the ever-increasing geographical spread of the hostilities. As I'm sure the good citizens of EVE are aware, The Fountain Alliance has a long history of fighting the savage barbarians of the Curse Alliance, and it is with their introduction into the war that we have now found it necessary to adjust our policy from our formerly strictly neutral position to the conflict in the North." And overall, this type of gameplay is going really, really well for the Northern Coalition of Allies, in part because everybody knew what they were about by now. They were part of a symbolic struggle, And Jade Constantine made sure that everybody knew what they were fighting for, and why the Phoenix Alliance needed to be destroyed, because remember, they were this corrupt government. And while everybody is getting their alliances settled, Sir Mole of Evolution and the Northern Coalition of Allies actually managed to convince the most famous and reviled pirate faction in the game to join their cause against the Phoenix Alliance, the pirates known as Moo Corporation. And it's this amazing moment where everybody's now involved in the North, even the the chaotic neutral character, Mu, is sending their pirates to go help the Northern Coalition of Allies depose the Phoenix Alliance. This whole thing, it wraps up basically every significant person or character in EVE Online in 2004. It's amazing. And as the war stretched past its first month of conflict, everybody was starting to wonder if this was going to end. And it's worth taking a moment to really remember what's happening here, because we're starting to talk about some really amazing things. Social groups within EVE Online are sending envoys between each other to attempt to build a geopolitical framework in the game, which is amazing, Uh, regardless of the fact that it's also taking place in real time and there are spontaneous space battles breaking out between hundreds of players, this is all stuff that nobody had ever seen in 2004. Still today, almost 15 years later, There's no other video game that does that. There's still nothing today like what EVE Online had figured out 15 years ago. And the legacy of this whole conflict is about bringing players together in ways that had never been done before. Conflict is the heart of innovation in EVE Online, and when players and their groups are challenged, they come up with ever more ingenious means of protecting themselves and advancing their goals. And you have to remember that when EVE Online began, it was almost entirely a lot of random people flying around in ships. The biggest groups were maybe a dozen members at most. It took time for those people to coalesce into larger and larger groups. And it's usually the need to destroy another group that encourages them to do that, to become larger, more intricate, and more complex. And the most important byproduct of this trend uh, or this phenomenon of players wanting to grow larger and more powerful was formed on the northern front of the Great Northern War. Uh, Way up in the northernmost region of the map, uh, there's a region called Branch, and within Branch is a star system called BKG Tac Q2. And since you're not the only one who has trouble remembering these star system names the players of eve online had a nickname for this particular system and its valuable star base which was the key to the entire region of branch they called bkg Tac q2 the burger king and within bkg the burger king uh there's a battle happening almost 24 hours a day and it's arguably the true front line of the great northern war sir mole and evolution along with its most trusted friends and combat pilots were constantly trying to establish a dominant hold on that station. And they ended up locked in a weeks-long stalemate uh, with the Phoenix Alliance's top fleet commander, a guy by the name Presidio. And Evolution and its allies uh, were really strong around this station during the European time zones, but during the evenings in the American time zone, uh, Presidio and the Phoenix Alliance were able to come back in and re-establish control once Evolution's numbers had dwindled a little bit. And after weeks of endless fighting at the Burger King, uh, the attacking forces got to know each other very well, and and Evolution and the three other corporations were flying together almost every night, and they became a really well-oiled machine. They grew to like one another a lot they all benefited from exposure to the most experienced fleet commanders in the game uh, and they all got a lot better at the game and eventually they decided to formalize their partnership and they formed a new alliance same goals and everything this was just a formal thing they came up with a new alliance called band of brothers and so most of the most intense and skilled military corporations on the side of the northern coalition of allies start coming together and flying together and they become band of brothers and band of brothers begins attracting more and more talented players from around eve online who you know want to fly with the best of the best in this never-ending battle that they keep hearing about at the burger king and so band of brothers is formed and they instantly represent uh, probably the single most powerful military force in the game at the time and it's amazing but the person who actually managed to break the siege of the Burger King and end the never-ending battle was Jade Constantine. Jade was coordinating a huge propaganda effort devoted to goading the Phoenix Alliance southward away from BKG Tech Q2 uh, to fight her and Jericho Fraction and the other members of the Northern Coalition of Allies so that Evolution and Band of Brothers in the North could take control of BKG Tech Q2. And it actually worked. The average member of the Phoenix Alliance was so annoyed by all of Jade's lies and misinformation that they changed their focus from BKG to Q2 and sent their fleet southward to attack Jade Constantine and Jericho Fraction. And when they did that, the Phoenix Alliance permanently lost its ability to contest or control the Burger King. And this is going to have really important ramifications for the upcoming battle that the Northern Coalition of Allies is planning. See, because ever since that first big battle at PTAC FSQE, the Northern Coalition of Allies had been too wary to force any big engagements. You know, they were doing that, that sort of wolf pack strategy that we described before, or the Monge strategy. Uh, and, and they only had one data point about how a huge major fight uh, would go. And it pointed to Phoenix Alliance having a really decisive advantage in that kind of fighting. And so they stopped trying to fight big battles against Phoenix Alliance and resorted to smaller attacks. And they opted to put on the pressure and have Jade Constantine and her spies sow discord that would create even more pressure. And they'd successfully done that. And now that they had done that, they wanted to give Phoenix Alliance a shove, a nice big push to see if they'd crack completely and fall apart. And to do that, they opted for a big show of force right around the corner from Phoenix Alliance's home system. And the Northern Coalition of Allies wanted to prove that Phoenix Alliance couldn't even defend its own neighborhood. And the specifics of this are hard to understand just from me explaining it to you through audio alone, but basically what's going to happen here is that because Band of Brothers has conquered BKG Tech Q2, they now have a forward staging post from which they can strike southward into Phoenix Alliance territory. And there's this system just over the border into Phoenix Alliance territory, called 6NJ8TACV in Venal. And this station was special because any player could dock at it. It wasn't the kind of station that could be taken permanently. It was a free station for all players. It just so happened that Phoenix Alliance dominated that station militarily at all hours of the day. Uh, But with Band of Brothers now just to the north of them in Branch, they had the ability to strike downward into Phoenix Alliance territory, and so they would attack 6 nj Attack v constantly, and the Phoenix Alliance would, would sometimes fall back and absorb the blow and wait for Band of Brothers to be forced to head back to their own base, and then they would re-establish control. But during these attacks, Band of Brothers was bringing along with them these huge freighters, and those freighters were, were full of their own replacement ships and supplies, and when Phoenix Alliance would retreat away from the station, Band of Brothers began secretly stocking those stations within 6NJ8 Tech V with all of these ships when no Phoenix Alliance people were around to see it. And less than a week later, they began working to goad Phoenix Alliance into a full-on firefight in 6NJ8 Tech V. And Band of Brothers flies into their territory with a fleet of around 65 players. And one day they're met by a Phoenix Alliance fleet of more than 100 players. And the Phoenix Alliance Fleet Commanders look at the situation and they think they finally got the decisive advantage that they've been looking for that will allow them to cut off Band of Brothers Fleet and stop all of these attacks. And they outnumber the enemy three to two and it looks like a pretty good deal. And so the Phoenix Alliance decides to engage the battle. And outwardly things seem to be going pretty well at first. But as the battle continues, the Phoenix Alliance Commanders begin to realize that Band of Brothers Fleet isn't losing its numbers. They keep on destroying their ships over and over and over again, but the overall tally of Band of Brothers ships there isn't going down. Because every time they destroy a ship, that ship's pilot would fly their escape pod back to the station at 6NJ8TAC-V that was full of Band of Brothers replacement ships, and then fly a new ship back out to the battle. And Phoenix Alliance had no idea Band of Brothers would be able to do that. And in a complete reverse of the last major fleet battle, Band of Brothers is able to completely obliterate the Phoenix Alliance fleet just a few jumps away from their home capital system. And after Phoenix Alliance gets pushed out of a system just a few jumps away from their capital, things start to move very quickly. With the stress of what's happening to them, both in the form of internal arguments caused by Jay Constantine and, and propaganda and stuff like that, and the military stress of being bested so close to home, Uh, The Phoenix Alliance encounters a huge problem, and it ties back all the way to the beginning of this story so far back It's a little bit hard to remember, but remember how this whole conflict got started in the first place It was because that rogue faction inside the Phoenix Alliance, Cyberdyne Industries Who was said to be griefing and harassing the members of the Northern Coalition of Allies? Phoenix Alliance believed that those rumors about Cyberdyne Industries were false that Rekoku and Jade Constantine had manufactured this conspiracy in order to start a war for revenge. But that wasn't true, and Cyberdyne actually was guilty. And it might seem like a trivial dispute, and it was, but to the people in this story at the time, it was extremely important. The whole war had expanded massively beyond the scope of that original disagreement, but that was ultimately still the crux of it all. And people in the Phoenix Alliance began to start whispering and sharing information with all that was going on, and a rumor started circulating that Cyberdyne actually was guilty, and that all of these literal months of battles and effort and planning were based on a lie. And when their member alliances started to realize that they they weren't the good guys in this story, that they had been lied to and duped into fighting this war, into committing the time and assets of their friends and and, and defending the Phoenix Alliance. And then they found out that they were actually on the wrong side of history, that they might be defending some bullies. And this hits a critical point and one of the mainstay corporations of the Phoenix Alliance, one of the most powerful corporations in all of Eve at the time, quit the Phoenix Alliance. And a mere days after this, Halseth Dern himself, the leader of the Phoenix Alliance, took personal action to kick Cyberdyne Industries out of the Phoenix Alliance, and then removed his own corporation from the Alliance as well. And honestly, this to me is the coolest moment in the story, even though it doesn't involve a battle or a spy or anything like that. Uh, When Rona and Oberon corporations left the Phoenix Alliance, they also struck a deal with a northern coalition of allies and band of brothers, to provide a one-time security detail to literally escort their ships out of the North safely. And I love picturing this scene because if it's fascinating that two groups can end up in a war inside a video game, then it's twice as fascinating that those sides can be capable of restraint and respect and calculated politics. Because the Northern Coalition of Allies wants the other Phoenix Alliance corporations who are still remaining in the fight to see this to see that they too could receive leniency and leave amicably if they just quit the war, with all of their members and all of their stuff intact. So the Phoenix Alliance is still around, but they've just lost three of their most populous members. And this is where a lot of people decide that the war had come to an end. Jade Constantine remarked publicly that she felt that she had exhibited for all the, quote, fate of all tyrants, unquote and went off on further adventures. And unfortunately, this would actually be the last time that Jade's deeds you know, rose to this level of prominence, and we won't see Jade again as a character uh, in this story. Uh, she was involved in EVE Online for, for years afterwards and was a fixture of the community, but the state of organizations in Null and in this story will eventually move beyond her style of roleplay corporation. And control of the Phoenix Alliance passed to Cochise.
1: Even though the NCA was drawn for the war, the hatred from Jade had not subsided. The propaganda campaign was rampant. I mean, there has never been, and I gotta make this comment, Andrew, there's never been a war in EVE that was fought at the intensity that the Great Northern War was fought. You know, and I've been in all of them, in every aspect of real life war that you can fathom. You know, mm-hmm. sort of a nuclear annihilation, it was being played, espionage, subterfuge, propaganda warfare. It was just bombarding us. And I thought Oberon and Roby One and the other corporations, the three corporations that left the alliance, we mm-hmm. thought they left as a result of the bombardment of insults and negative propaganda. Their CEOs, their corporation were being called out by name and just vehemently insulted. They picked the right person to deal with that part of it. I grew up in a family where my dad was, was one of the very first positive mental thinkers in the 60s. He made a lifetime of being a flow of positive energy, and he bombarded me all my life growing up with all the, the, the great sayings, you know, turn lemon in, into lemonade and Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins. So I knew in my mind that I've got the tools that if nothing else, I can turn that against them. And so of course, you know, I was just immersed in that as a child growing up and in, into my early, you know, into my teens and my early adulthood. Andrew, when I realized that, I mean, that goosebumps all over my body, because I realized I can disarm this part of it, Then that's a big part of the fire that's burning on our front doorstep. You know, and it was pissing off my people. I was saying, guys, if there's not a reason to fight, can we pack up, we go back to empire? Mm-hmm. These guys are insulting us. They're calling us every name in the book. They say we're dead. And... Because of that, they were, they were spamming the, the public side of the PA forums, the EVE online forums, everywhere you looked. It was negative propaganda. And it got to a point where, you know, that became my biggest asset. Look, let me tell you this about the Great Northern War, and this is my quote. If you don't put anything else i say in your book, I want this in there. There were no good fights posted in local. This wasn't a game for us. This was our home. They were our enemy. All appropriate emotions were applied. You know, we hated them. Not in a virtual way, we hated them. It drove us. Man, I can remember blowing off work to lead my guys
0: in a fight. And Cochise is essentially the perfect person to lead the Phoenix Alliance at this time, because everybody is just morally downtrodden, and he's a really nice, cheerful guy, and really importantly, he also has personal friends in Band of Brothers. A former member of his corporation named DeFuzz had sort of honorably defected to Band of Brothers because he wanted to play with the best, most serious corporations in the game, and he and Cochise had managed to maintain a friendship through that transition. And so when the raw hostility of the war began to subside and people began to get weary of all of the fighting and pointless destruction, Cochise reached out to his friend, DeFuzz.
1: I went to DeFuzz and I and I said, you know. Now, by this time he was way up there in the ranks and he said, You know, DeFuzz, um, we're getting tired of this war. You know, we're we're, we're running out of isk. The guys are getting mm-hmm. bored with it, because it has become a grind by this point. The Conga line at Burger King, you know, uh, the big battle in V seven myth, it just was no more fun for a lot of us. And a lot of the guys were grumbling about it. We needed a break. We needed a chance to build up and make isk again. And so DeFuzz says, Well so you what you're saying is you want to surrender and I said, Hell no. We're not surrendering, but I want to see if we can talk. And so he set it up. Jade Constantine, um, Lady Scarlet, we all got in a chat room. I pled my case, and basically the line was this. I said, look, the original corpse are gone. You know, Rona, the, the ones I've mentioned, it's a different game, a different time. Things have changed, you know, what's in this? And the culmination of it was, it ended. The war ended by mutual consent, and the only criteria that I had from... From my fellow leadership within the Phoenix Alliance was that we will not surrender, we will not give up one piece of space. In the game of Eve, when you're trying to put somebody down, you put them down by taking their space. Mm -hmm. And when the war ended, we still were the proper owners of the three regions, Venal, Tenal, and Branch.
0: And following the peace agreement, Band of Brothers retreats from the North and begins doing a little soul searching. Uh, All of the other groups that fought in the Great Northern War either fell apart within a year, uh, I believe the Phoenix Alliance soldiered on for maybe 18 months or so before buckling completely, or they went back to Empire space and stopped trying to conquer territory, except for Band of Brothers, which was the only group who was richer and more powerful than before. uh, Because they had essentially designed the most compelling type of gameplay in EVE Online and the very best players wanted to go to Band of Brothers to experience it. And Band of Brothers was offering what no other alliance really could, it was offering the chance to participate in regular online battles between hundreds of real people while participating in a world-class organization of gamers. And after all of this was over, this forces Band of Brothers leadership to do a little soul searching about what the future held for them in this organization because they had built themselves into what was very obviously the best bunch of player versus player pilots in the game, and they had this very rigid militaristic culture, and so they had to figure out what the future looked like for that group if it was going to survive and not fall apart like so many of the others. This was a group that was formed in order to fight on a grand scale, and so in order for it to stay together, it needed to be able to continue doing that. It needed to have capable enemies worth fighting, and a goal that was grand enough to unite all of these people. And what Band of Brothers was planning was called Operation Clockwise, which was nothing short of a blueprint for how to conquer all of EVE Online. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of the show. This marks the end of the Great Northern War story arc, and now we'll be moving forward from this point, mostly following Band of Brothers through the really amazing stories that it's about to get into. Uh, I think for the next major story arc, we'll dig into Band of Brothers' attack on Ascendant Frontier uh, and the story of the first Titan-class ship ever built in EVE Online. Uh, And also, before we wrap up, I wanted to let you know that I've started a new podcast project called The Secret Lives of Virtual Worlds, which I'm working on right now with a sound designer. Uh, It's got a similar mission to this show, which is to take seriously the stories that occur in online spaces. Uh, But it takes a much different route toward that goal. So in this show, you'll hear directly from individuals as they tell me their personal online stories. Uh, So if you're interested, you can check out some pre-release stuff over at patreon.com slash secretlives. Otherwise, it'll end up releasing for free later this year. Thanks for listening to Empires of Eve. As always, if you don't want to wait for the next episode, you can check out my book, Empires of Eve, A History of the Great Empires of Eve Online, which is available on Amazon and Audible.